his with his small party, brother, sister, and two friends. And it was told to the community of Geneva that John Calvin is here. The guy that wrote the Institutes is here. And, and so a young pastor, uh, actually I don't know how young he was. I don't have his age here. But um, he was he was new to the community starting a church. His name was William Farrell. And he was ecstatic because he figured Calvin's going to help me start this Protestant church in Geneva. And so Farrell went to meet Calvin at the end, and basically Farrell said, it is God's will for you, Calvin, to stay in Geneva and do ministry here. And Calvin said, I'm only here for one night. And, and, and as the story goes, Farrell basically said, well, if you don't stay here, may God curse all of your works and all of your ministry that you will ever do. And, and Calvin, <laughs> so Calvin hearing this was very much... Um, um, well, it said that Calvin had a tender conscience, and he said, I quote, and I quote, I felt as if God from heaven had laid his mighty hand upon me to stop me in my course, and I was so terror-stricken that I did not continue my journey. And so Calvin stayed in Geneva, and for better or for worse, there's some good things associated with him there and some negative things, but uh, probably one of the hugely important theological concepts that have come from John Calvin out of the scripture that he is, you know, if Luther talked about justification by grace through faith, it was Calvin that really highlighted God's election of who will be saved. That is, that God would choose who's going to respond to him in salvation. And so we call that Calvinism. Um, now, I, I'll never forget, I was, I was uh, a couple years into youth ministry, and I remember, I don't remember what the message was the night that I, that I taught, but I remember going to Culver's after youth group. We did that like every week. We'd always go to Culver's and someone would buy a huge thing of cheese curds and we'd all have a good time talking. But I remember one student there, he was a junior in high school, I believe. Uh, he was very much, he had something on his heart that he wanted to talk about. Now, I've had enough conversations with teenagers, you know, that, that, that I know there's lots of different topics that young people have on their minds at that age. But I wasn't prepared for this one. <clears throat> when Culver's was over, it was about probably about 10 o'clock. Um, he said, can I talk to you, Niall? I said, okay, yeah. So he went to my car, and he said, I've been reading through the book of Romans. And I thought, this is a different kind of teenage conversation. This is not what I expected. And he says, I'm, I'm really digging into it. I'm really enjoying it. But I got to Romans chapter 9. And I got some big, big questions. <clears throat> and he said, what is this about? Uh, uh, God saying, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. What is this thing about God hardening Pharaoh's heart? What is this thing about God, you know, choosing who he's going to have compassion on? What do I do with that? And so we talked for quite a while in my car that night, you know, and, and I don't know if I landed in the same place that I wish I would have landed in that conversation. Like I always think about like, how do I want this conversation to conclude? And maybe that comes from preaching for a lot of years. I always think about how do I want this this message to end? And I am going to come back to that moment at the end of this sermon and, and leave you with some thoughts. How many of you went to Bible school? A Christian college, we'll put it that way, Christian college. I'm guessing that if you went to a Christian college, at some point during your education, you had a hot theological discussion about Calvinism at some point. 
going to Moody Bible Institute, it was probably something that came up more frequently than just once, you know. And, and you're going to sit there and you're going to talk with your friends and it's going to go something like this. There's going to be some that are Calvinists and they're going to say, did you know that God chose you to be saved? And it wasn't your free will, it was him choosing you and that was the only reason you're saved. And then you're going to have people on the other side of that that say, no, no, I'm more Arminian. And my view is that, that God gave the grace to take the blinders off so that you could make a free will choice. Do I believe in the gospel or do I not? And, and, and that discussion has gone on for centuries. And so I'm happy to say that I'm going to resolve it for you this morning. And this sermon is going to go out and it's going to change the theological landscape. It's all, it's all right here. This is ground zero. Okay. I'm saying that because I really don't think I'm going to resolve everything, but I am going to preach uh, what, what might be commonly called Calvinism. I'm going to have you go to Ephesians chapter 1, if you would turn there now. Um, I'm going to preach the text. And if you are not Calvinistic in your theology, uh, I hope that you will hear me out. And I even intend at some point in the sermon maybe to point out how an Arminian, someone who emphasizes free will, I chose to believe in God, how they might interpret Ephesians 1. Um, so I'm, I'm going to try to be very gracious in how I talk about this. Whatever side of the debate you're on, by the way, I, for 10 years in youth ministry, I was very Calvinistic. My senior pastor was very Arminian, and somehow we got along just fine, and I expect us to as well, just to be clear on that. I totally expect us to be fine as well. So the free church, the evangelical free church, does not take a strong uh, stance on this. Uh, so you are free to be on either side of this. I'm just going to preach the text, though. So if you give me the grace to just preach it as I see how what God is saying here, um, and we'll I think we'll get along just fine. Okay. All right. Ephesians chapter 1. I, I did a very short selection out of Ephesians, uh, but Ephesians 1 is kind of all the same theme. But we're just going to do uh, 3 through 6, which says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So we're just doing this short section, but there's a lot here, and I just want to use this section to talk about election, what we call election. I'm, I'm going to try not to use the word predestined a lot, even though that's a word in the text. The other word in the text is the word chose in verse 4. I'm just going to use the word chose. I think uh, younger people, you can understand that as well. He chose you. He selected you. The word choose means that God selected or he picked people to come to know him in faith. That's the word chose means. It's very, very simple. He chose you. He selected you. He picked you. I want to describe God's choosing of us in four different ways. Like, how did God choose who would be saved? How did he do that? Well, I'll give you four things to think about. Number one, uh, God chose us 
in Christ. He chose us in Christ. In Ephesians 1, you've got the words in Christ or in Him 11 times. That's just in Ephesians chapter 1. 11 times you see that prepositional phrase, in Christ or in Him. That is hugely significant. Because what it's pointing out is all of the blessings that we have, and you see in verse 3, He's blessed us with in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What Paul is starting with is he's setting the stage for everything he's going to say, and he's like, you were chosen in Christ. Meaning, any blessing that you have, any spiritual blessing you have, comes from Christ. When we talk about being blessed by God, someone is blessed, all we mean is that God has resources that we don't have, and God wants to give them to us. He wants to give them to us. And when he gives them to us, we're better off after we've received them. It's, it's good that you've been blessed by God because you, you, you're better off because of it. So God has blessed us in Christ, which means if you have forgiveness, it's only because of Christ. If you have redemption, if you've been freed from slavery to sin, it's on Christ. If you've been justified, declared righteous, justification's in Christ. Sanctification's in Christ. That We talked about that at the end of last week a little bit. Your future glorification when you become perfect and have the new body, that's because of Christ. Everything you've received is because of Christ. Now, I do want to just take a moment and point this out as well. Um, if you're a more Arminian side of this, that is, you would emphasize free will, we freely choose Christ, you might read Ephesians 1 and say, to say God chose us in Christ means that, that God chose Christ and the church as a group. Now, I don't hold to that interpretation, but this is how it goes. To say that God chose you in Christ means Jesus is the chosen one, and the church as a group is the chosen group that is united to Jesus. And so, if you put your faith in Jesus, you're part of that chosen group, because you're connected to Jesus, who is the chosen one. See what I mean? So the idea in Ephesians 1 is God elected Jesus. He didn't elect certain people. That would be an Arminian understanding of Ephesians 1. So I want to make sure I give credit to that if that is where you were at theologically. I read God chose us in Christ, and I see that interpretation controlled by verse 3, who says, He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That is, what, what Paul is saying is, any blessing you have, is because of Jesus. And so you praise Jesus for all that you have. Okay, number two. God chose us before creation. Uh, you'll see that. Uh, verse four, God chose us in Him before the creation of the world. Some translations say before the foundation of the world. So the idea here is, um, before God created anything, He picked you. He picked you. He knew you and He picked you before he made anything. And I think that ought to be incredibly comforting to us. I grew up watching uh, great 80s television. Great 80s shows like The A-Team. Did you watch The A-Team? Yes. I made my kids watch it one time, and they were not very impressed. I don't know. I don't know. 
I mean, there were moments. There were moments, right? There was okay. There were moments. Come on. Okay, fine. Um, but in the A-team, every episode kind of follows a similar format. Am I right? You know, someone hires the A-team, and they've got to get somebody out of trouble. And there's always this amazing plan that they're going to put together, right? There's that famous saying, right? I love it when a plan comes together. I, mean, I don't know where that originally came from, but I know it from the A-team, right? Um, and, and so you always know they're going to do something to get somebody out of trouble because there is a plan. Now, the difference between the A-team and God's election of the sinner, the fact is we're in big trouble. Like the Bible makes it really clear, you're enslaved to sin. You need somebody to rescue you from that. You need the A-team. But the A-team only responds to the trouble that they hear about. If you can find them, you can hire them. You know, that, that, that sort of thing. But, but God, before he made anything, knew there was going to be a sin problem. He gave Adam and Eve free will. You can eat many tree in the garden but one. And they ate from the one. And, and some people read that and go, think that maybe God was up in heaven going, okay, what's plan B? You know, uh, what are we going to do? But, the, but there was no plan B. This is the plan. God doesn't do evil. God doesn't tempt people to do evil. But God gave us a free will, and that allowed us to choose evil. And people do it every day. We do it every day. But the reality is, if God chose us before the foundation of the world, that means he had a plan all along. And he's not reacting to crisis. He knew from the beginning he was going to send his son. He knew from the beginning he was going to choose you. And so your birth is not accidental. Your salvation is not accidental. You can't say, whoops, I was in the right place at the right time. I walked into church one Sunday and the pastors preached about the gospel and I gave my life. No. Or I went to Sunday school and, and that certainly that did the trick, right? Sunday school gave me Christ. Well, sure that it, it did, but God planned it that way from the beginning. It was no accident that you believed in Christ. It wasn't good fortune that you came to be saved. He knew you. He chose you before the creation of the world. If you're an Arminian, uh, and again, if you're on that side of things, you might look at this choosing before the creation of the world, and Arminians try to say, well, you know, God could see into the future, and he knew who was going to choose him, and so he chose you first. That God was able to choose you because he saw the choice you were going to make. Again, I don't believe that. That's not my biblical conviction. But that was how an Arminian would understand that text. That he chose you because he saw you. And he saw that you were going to exercise faith in him. A Calvinist would say, no, 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 no. You could never even choose him. You were so enslaved to sin. There was no way that that could even be possible. He made the first move. He planned it. That's number two. Um, and again, I, I look at this the creation thing as, for me personally, I'll just tell you, um, to know that God set his love on me before he made anything is incredible to me. That God wanted to set his love in Christ on me. It's a comforting thing for me. Number three. Um, God chose us 
according to the good pleasure of his will. You see that in, uh, let's do verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, the, the way the NIV puts it, his pleasure and will, um, other translations say the good pleasure of his will. I, I like I like that for accuracy, the good pleasure of his will. And what that means is that God willed to choose you. And it pleased him to choose you. Um, let me put it like this. The word good pleasure is, uh, we can get that word up, it's eudokia. And it's a word that also shows up in Luke 10.21. So keep your finger in Ephesians, and would you look at Luke 10.21? You're going back a few books. But that same word, good pleasure, eudokia, is in Luke 10, verse 21. And when Jesus uses that word, it's right after he sends out the 72 people to do ministry, basically to do evangelism. They're going out to do evangelism. They've just come back. And Jesus says in Luke 10, 21, uh, at that time, well, let's see what the people said first. Like the people reported back in verse 18, or let's do, um, uh, let's say verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, and so they come back, they've been evangelizing, they're excited, and they say in verse 17, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. That, there's that good pleasure thing, that 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 good pleasure, Eudokia word. This was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So the Son chooses to reveal the Father. Son's choice. He chooses to reveal the Father. And, and I'll just have you note there's only a few times in Scripture that Jesus is said to rejoice. This is one of them. And what he rejoices at is that you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Jesus rejoices in saying, you didn't choose the elite. You chose the lowly things. And this is not the only time you see this thing. You see it also in 1 Corinthians this is what we looked at actually a little bit yesterday at the men's breakfast Saturday morning. Um, listen to 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven as I read it. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak in the world to shame the, strong, to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So God chooses weak, lowly things 
so that the strong and the boastful and the proud are put to shame. And I was thinking about this yesterday, and we were talking about this at the men's breakfast, and I was thinking, it's amazing to me that we hear about the gospel spreading in third world countries like crazy. It's like going. Unstoppable. And here where we have so much more, the progress is slower. And it makes me wonder, in our pride, in our advancements, in our great knowledge, in our scientific achievements, in our technological abilities, we've pushed out the need for God, even though we do need Him. And I'm not saying that the rich don't come to God. I'm not saying that the important people don't come to God. God chooses them too. But God delights in choosing the humble and the lowly. The people that don't have the college education. He delights in choosing the high school dropouts. Now, am I telling you to drop out of high school? No. Teenagers don't walk out saying that. But do you get the point of it? Do you get what he's saying? I love choosing the people that society says don't have it all going on. Because when they come to Jesus, they know they can only boast in God. That's Ephesians 1. Or, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 1. They can only boast in God. The high and mighty, the intelligent, way too often they boast in themselves and they don't even know me, is what the Lord is saying. Now, I will say again, I praise God for brilliant men and women who know a lot more than me about this book. I praise God for them. And I read them and I, and I love what they write. I'm not putting them down in any way. I'm just saying God's heart is very close to the lowly. And we see his selection of them for salvation very often. And you certainly see it in third world countries where the gospel spreads like wildfire. So God chose us according to his good will. One thing this does for me, you know, number three, you know, is it means that God didn't choose me because I was lovable. He didn't choose me because I have intelligence. He didn't choose me because I was raised in America with all of our religious freedom. He didn't choose me because of any of these good qualities that are in me or around me. He loves me because he loves me and it was his good pleasure to love me. That's it. And yes, I know there are some that would say right now, but isn't it equally true that for God so loved the world? And the answer is yes. God does love the world. He does love the unsaved. He does offer them salvation. But there's a specific, unique love for those that He has chosen and those that He has saved. But He does love the world as well. I'm moving on. Uh, finally, last thing I want to say about Ephesians 1 is God chose us to the praise of His glory. You can see that in verse 6. Um, to the praise... So. Uh, we'll do verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to sonship, sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He's freely given us in the one He loves. Everything that God does ultimately... So so let's be clear here. I know God chose me because He wanted me to be part of His family. I know He chose me to be holy and blameless. I didn't even talk about that. That's in the text too. But we don't have all morning. Um, that's the results of His choosing. 
But ultimately, anything God does is for the praise of his glory. I feel like I'm really indebted to uh, people like John Piper, who have written so extensively on God's glory. I'll never forget the day that I read that God is not a lawbreaker. Well, no duh, right? But, but Piper says, God does not break the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. God puts no other gods before himself. And so everything he does is for himself. He's not a lawbreaker. He upholds his glory. His glory is the beauty of all of his attributes. You can say the glory of his love, the glory of his grace, the glory of his holiness. Glory is just like a word that means his beauty. The beauty of all that he is. And so everything that he does is to demonstrate that beauty, that glory to everyone. Um, okay. I want to summarize everything that I've said. Uh, I was once part of a Dare to Share conference. Excellent organization. They teach young people how to share their faith. And I really loved the way they explained Calvinism versus Arminianism. And I feel like they did it in a way that we could all come together. Personally, the way I see free choice and God choosing us, I, I, I see them, and you may, maybe you've heard this, as two parallel lines. There's God choosing us and us choosing God. Some of those lines intersect, but yet to us they look very much parallel. How in the world do those two things intersect? I don't know. But God knows, and so I trust Him. And, and, and the, as far as the trust goes, when, when it comes to God's good pleasure to choose some, I trust that God makes the right choice. You know, many of us have a hard, hard, hard time with election because we're like, well, it's not fair. Why would he choose some and not others? But if you knew everything God knew, you could make that choice, right? And so if I'm trusting that the God who makes the decision is huge, almighty, perfect in every way, I can trust his choice. Okay, but, but here's the three things I want to talk about from Dare to Share. Sorry, what kind of went off there? Um, they would say there are three responsibilities that we have, uh, not that, that we have, but three responsibilities in someone getting saved. Number one, that it is God's responsibility to save people. We can all agree on that. No matter what side of the fence you're on, you can agree that God has to be the one to save people. It is the shepherd going after the sheep. It is God pursuing the lost sinner. Jesus came, I came to seek and save the lost. God saves people. Without God's action, nobody gets saved. Now, Calvinists just take that a step further and say that, that, that it's God that actually selects who gets saved, and that's the only people that get saved. Okay, but it's God's responsibility to save. We can all agree on that. Number two, it is the church's responsibility to communicate. We gotta share the gospel. If you don't share the gospel, you're living in sin. If you're not sharing the faith, that's a great commission. That's a command of Christ. Go into all the world and share the gospel, right? So it's our responsibility to communicate. Number three, it's the individual's responsibility to believe. God still holds people responsible for their decision to believe or not. And you might say, well, that doesn't seem fair for the Calvinists because if God is the one who saves, God is the one who chooses, why does he hold people responsible to believe? And I can't explain that all the way in and out, 
But I know that he does. I know that people have to respond. And even even in a passage like Ephesians 1, I'd invite you to look at Ephesians 1.13. In the middle of all this glorious grace and predestination and election and all the rest, if you look at Ephesians 1.13, you'll see that uh, Paul doesn't shy away from the choice we have to make either. Ephesians 1.13 And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth. People have to hear the message of the truth to believe. Which means the church has to communicate it. There's our responsibility right here in 1.13. You don't share it, people don't believe it, and people don't get saved. What? It's our responsibility. But then he goes on and he says in 1.13, uh, And you also were included in Christ. Where am I at? When you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When you believed, you were marked with the Holy Spirit. There has to be faith. You still have to make a decision. And I can't ignore those passages in the Scripture that say you've got to make a choice. And so I think we can all agree on this and how this works out. Let me give you one more passage about Christ. And see if this helps you as well. Um, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew 11.25. Matthew 11.25. Alright. Jesus has just been denouncing some cities that don't believe in him. Uh, there's some heavy-duty um, stuff that Jesus says about Chorazin and Bethesda, woe to you. Then you get to 25, and Jesus says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord in heaven and earth. And here's a similar one that we saw earlier. Because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. All that should sound very familiar. We just read it a few minutes ago. But then he says in verse 28, now, again, I think we might miss this, but I don't think we should miss it. Verse 28, come to me. There's an invitation. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Somehow Jesus can say, only those chosen will believe in me, so come to me, all of you that are weary. The invitation goes out to all. And, and all I can say is, somehow Jesus is able to talk about election and talk about free will in the same breath. And so I do too. That, that's where I'm at. That's how I talk about it. If Jesus can talk about it that way, I think I can talk about it that way. God chose you, and you better choose him. And we can all agree, I think, on some form of that. Um, one more illustration of the parallel lines. I read this in Millard Erickson's super thick theology book. Um, I commend that to you. It's a good, good, big theology book. Uh, that one and Grudem's, those are some of my favorites. But um, anyway, he has a great example of election. We'll see if this works on you. 
and I, I took my own liberties with, with sharing this, okay? So um, let's imagine for a minute that you were invited to a dinner. And you are sat down at this nice table, and you have to make a selection of what you are going to eat at that dinner. And out comes the hamburger. We'll get the picture of the hamburger. Um, this hamburger was purchased in 1995. It's been preserved for 20 plus years. It looks really good, doesn't it? Mummified meat. Um, out comes the hamburger, and it is set in front of you, and you may eat that for dinner. Out comes a second dish. Oh, that's the steak. Sorry, vegetarians, you're not going to understand this at all. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, okay? Um, out comes the steak. Us meat eaters, we get it. Um, now, you see the steak and you say, man, and basically you're asked the question, what would you choose? You say, well, of course I'm choosing the steak. I can see that the other is nothing but going to kill me, and the steak is going to nourish my body, and it's going to taste awesome, and that's what I choose. And somehow in God's sovereignty, he's able to take our blinders off and say, look at Jesus, and now look at your sin. Look at the world. Who do you love? What do you want? Do you want to go the way of the world and the way of sin, or do you want to go the way of Christ? And as God presents the choice to you, you would say, why in the world would I take what is going to kill me over what is going to give me life? And you chose life. You chose Christ. Now, I know no analogy is perfect. Maybe I shouldn't have used the, the nasty McDonald's hamburger. Maybe I should have had a nice juicy burger, you know, like you get from, uh, I don't know, wherever your favorite place is. Maybe I should have done that. But the point is, when I see the sin and when I see the world, when I see hell, as I read in the scripture, why would I ever want that when God has offered me life? Why would I ever choose that? Somehow, I'm able to make a free will choice, but only because God has chosen me to make that free will choice. I don't understand how those parallel lines intersect, but I know that they do. And I can trust the God who chooses. I know His wisdom is perfect. So here's some applications. We're at the end here. Um, Here's some applications. Uh, go out and get a burger for lunch. No, no, no. That wasn't it. I should have said steak. Sorry, that was not right. Um, number one, we got to respect the Calvinists and Arminians among us. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I am almost 100% sure that some of you describe yourself more as it's all free will, right? And some of you describe yourself as God chose you and that's how it works. And we have room for both here, and you've got to respect we are a church that has both. If you need to be in a Reformed church, find your nearest Presbyterian church and worship there gladly. But we have both here. And that is a wonderful thing. Okay? I joy, Like I said before, I joyfully served with an Arminian pastor for 10 years. And we never argued and fought over this. And neither should you. That's, I believe, God's will for us, at least in this local church. Number two. Let us be fully assured of our amazing spiritual blessings in Christ. Isn't that the point of Ephesians chapter 1? The way the whole thing starts, and I'll read it one more time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us. So verse 4, it's important words there. Verse 4, it says, 
just as He chose us. Praise God for all of His blessings. One of them being that He chose us. And again we see our salvation is secure. You don't have to worry about losing it on Monday after being so secure on Sunday. He chose you. You're not going to lose it. It's a blessing He's given. And finally, and I'm really excited to end on this one, um, I think the natural tendency in the verse, everything that Paul is saying here, uh, it's so interesting because Paul starts with a doxology in Ephesians 1. You know, the doxology is like that word of praise. And the first words that Paul writes in Ephesians 1 are, praise God, bless God. That's actually the word, actually. The word is bless. He's saying, bless God who has blessed us with all of our blessings. Isn't that a fun way to say it? Bless God who has blessed us with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. How do you bless the blesser? You know what I mean? If everything I have is in Christ, how do I bless the blesser? And and the clearness of this is, all I can do is stand back and rejoice the way Jesus rejoiced. All I can do is praise God for what He has done in Christ. That's what I do. I bless the blesser. I don't give him anything he doesn't already have. I can only recognize it. And just like I might admire a beautiful work of art, I can admire his glory and say, bless you, God. That's it. I, I used to hear worship leaders as they were starting to lead a worship set say, we wanna, we've want to. come here to bless you, God. I always used to think, how do you do that? How do you bless the blesser? Well, you join in and you sing. You praise. You rejoice. You worship him. You celebrate Him. Uh, Psalm says it like this. Psalm 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Don't forget His benefits. And you will be praising Him the rest of your life. Can I invite the worship team to come up now? We're going to bless Him once more. Let's pray. Father, um, I know that we don't talk a lot, Father, about election in the church. And maybe that's on me because I don't want to cause a commotion. I don't want to cause any strife between people who think differently on this. I know I have members in my own family back uh, in, in Illinois that think differently on this. And, and so I know this is just, this is one of those differences within the church. But God, may we never, ever shy away from studying Your Word, which says these things. We love Your Word. Even in the deep places, even in the difficult places, we love and we stand on every word that You have given us. And so I pray for those for whom this is a hard word today, that need to look into this even more this week, that are going to do some wrestling after this, Give them the grace to dive into Your Word and love it. May no one despair because it's too hard. May we keep everything in the proper perspective of You being God and us being human beings that get to look into these things. May we love Your Word for everything it tells us about You. We want to praise You now again in response to all the amazing spiritual blessings in Christ.
For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?